In the years before his death, Harry Houdini was almost fanatical in his attempts to debunk and expose fake spiritualists. He even went so far as to post a $10,000 bond in the cities he visited as a guarantee against his standing challenge to any medium that could prove they possessed supernatural abilities. Unfortunately for those who claimed such abilities, like Boston's famed medium Marjorie, all of the great magician's challengers failed. Marjorie was a darling of the 19th century spiritualism movement, and many were furious when she was exposed. This led more than one observer to wonder, did spiritualists kill Harry Houdini? Whether it's history, crime, or legend, Stephanie Hoover has that story. In 1922, the magazine Scientific American, at Harry Houdini's suggestion, went about forming a committee to investigate spiritualist manifestations. Composed of both believers and skeptics, it was tasked with finding a medium possessing genuine supernatural abilities. Self-proclaimed psychic investigator Houdini was named a member of this committee, although he was quite open about the fact that several of his co-members, and most of their testing criteria, failed to meet his standards. Of particular concern to Houdini was a series of articles written by Scientific American's associate editor J. Malcolm Byrd. Byrd was enamored with a Boston medium by the name of Mrs. Mina Crandon, wife of surgeon L.R.G. Crandon. For her seances and spiritualistic performances, she went by the stage name Marjorie. The magazine had promised to pay a reward to the medium it chose as most probably authentic. Bird had already made up his mind that Marjorie would win that $2,500 prize, even though he admitted to Houdini that she was only right 50 to 60% of the time. Nonetheless, Bird's articles about the medium were glowingly complimentary. Houdini was characteristically blunt in his opinions on Bird's stories, and in a July 1924 letter to Scientific American publisher O.D. Munn, he said, These articles are the worst piffle I ever read, paralleled only by the Tommy Rot written about Mrs. Guppy, who was said to have floated through the air, a plate glass window, and solid brick. Houdini convinced Munn to accompany him to Boston, where Houdini would personally test Marjorie's abilities. Upon their arrival, Houdini and Munn found that Bird had preceded them, and astonishingly for a supposed objective journalist, he was staying as a guest in the Crandons' home. Houdini's first seance with Marjorie occurred on July 23, 1924. He sat on Marjorie's left, his right leg pressed tightly against hers. What no one in attendance knew was that Houdini had spent the day with a tight bandage wrapped around his right leg just below the knee. The resulting swelling caused the magician's leg to be especially tender. He could detect even the slightest brushing against his skin. By this means, it was easy for Houdini to detect all of Marjorie's tricks. 
The supernatural abilities she claimed, such as ringing a bell hidden in a box and tipping cabinets without touching them, were simply a product of Marjorie's sleight of hand and, as it turned out, sleight of foot. The enraged Houdini wanted to expose Marjorie immediately, but Munn insisted he wait until they returned to New York. Once back in the city, Munn made the extraordinarily expensive decision to stop the presses to prevent Byrd's latest article about Marjorie from running. Byrd retaliated against Houdini by leaking stories to newspapers, including one with the headline, Houdini the Magician Stumped by Marjorie. By August 25th of 1924, Houdini was ready for one final test and exposure of the fraudulent medium. He'd built a box from which only Marjorie's head and arms could protrude. Without the benefit of the use of her nimble athletic limbs or the cover of darkness under which she usually performed, Marjorie was fully exposed as the skillful huckster she was. When it was clear she could never hoodwink Houdini, Marjorie resorted to threats. If you misrepresent me from the stage, she warned Houdini, some of my friends will come up and give you a good beating. In March 1925, the Scientific American Committee announced that it had failed to uncover any individual that could pass its tests. As such, its reward offer was permanently rescinded. Houdini made more waves for spiritualists a year later when he accepted the role of celebrity instructor at New York's Police Academy. There, he gave a three-month course on how to recognize the deceptions of mediums and mind readers. But Houdini wasn't satisfied with educating those who enforced the laws. He ultimately also wanted to influence those who created the laws. Six months before his death, one of Houdini's employees, fulfilling a promise to her boss, testified before a congressional committee whose proposed legislation would regulate and restrict the activities of mediums in the nation's capital. That Houdini made the spiritualists furious is well known. He regularly received death threats, which he laughingly brushed aside. But none of the conspiracy theories surfaced during his final days when it was accurately reported that Houdini was fighting for his life after collapsing on a Detroit stage. It was not until some weeks after Houdini died that the first headline asked, Was Houdini Murdered? Only then did reporters ponder if spiritualists played some part in his death. So... Is it possible that spiritualists were the real masterminds of the well-concealed murder of their debunking nemesis? Based on publicly reported events and the timeline, it seems unlikely. On October 25, 1926, newspapers across the nation reported that Houdini was in the hospital and in very serious condition. An operation to repair a burst appendix was performed too late to staunch the spread of peritonitis throughout his body. A second operation was equally ineffective. Houdini died early on the afternoon of October 31st, 1926, Halloween Day. 
On November 1st, news of his passing spread worldwide. Some obituaries, like the one in the New York Times, mentioned a blow to the stomach that Harry Houdini had received from a Canadian college student. The cause of death in this and other obituaries was reported as peritonitis spread by the resulting ruptured appendix. This was the same cause of death recorded on his death certificate. On November 2nd, several newspapers ran a smaller story in which Houdini's family described his final hours. Houdini's death, they confirmed, was the result of a punch delivered on October 22nd to a reclining and unprepared Houdini by McGill University student, and some say boxer, J. Gordon Whitehead. Though considered by many to be the villain in Houdini's untimely end, Whitehead was never investigated nor charged with any crime. And surprisingly, he even agreed to be interviewed by Houdini's life insurance company. In his statement to New York Life, Whitehead admitted striking a blow to Houdini's abdomen. This, in turn, led the insurance carrier to honor its double indemnity clause, a clause that applied only if Houdini died to accidental rather than natural causes. Instead of the $25,000 policy payout they initially offered Houdini's widow Bess, she received the full $50,000 payout in July 1927. As for Whitehead, he died in obscurity in Montreal in 1954. He apparently never completed his university degree, nor did he ever publicly comment on his unfortunate encounter with Harry Houdini. While some conspiracy theorists suggest that Whitehead was actually an agent of vengeful spiritualists, a thorough search by this author revealed no ties between Whitehead and the spiritualism movement. And I've uncovered no spiritualist circle that claimed him as a member. Even more outlandish than the Whitehead theory is the one that proposed Houdini had actually been poisoned by spiritualists. In 2007, Houdini fans eagerly accepted the news of the possible exhumation of the magician's body. Testing would supposedly occur to confirm this poisoning hypothesis. As of this date, Houdini's body has never been exhumed, let alone tested, and the event is now regarded as a publicity stunt. So here are my final conclusions about the question of whether or not Houdini was murdered by spiritualists. It's clear that Harry Houdini died as a result of a rampant infection that even his strong body could not conquer. His appendix rupture may or may not have been worsened by Whitehead's fist, but spiritualists are, at least in this case, innocent of wrongdoing. That's my story about Harry Houdini and the Spiritualist. I hope you enjoyed it. To view photos and other documents associated with this story, visit stephaniehoover.com and click on the podcast tab, then click on the episode 8 artwork to be taken to show notes. If you're interested in learning more about the 19th century spiritualism movement, I've written two books on the subject that just might fit the bill. The first is called Philadelphia Spiritualism and the Curious Case of Katie King, 
a story of faith and fraud in the city of brotherly love. The second is called Spiritualism and the Supernatural, an entertaining encyclopedia for believers and skeptics alike. You can learn more about both of these books at stephaniehoover.com. Before I close, I'd like to thank those of you who have found Stephanie Hoover Has That Story. My very special appreciation to listeners in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, Palm Beach, Florida, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, Nashville, Tennessee, Seattle, Washington, and elsewhere around the country. If you'd like to comment on this or any other episode, or if you have a story suggestion, text your thoughts to 717-902-9291. This is Stephanie Hoover signing off and reminding you, until next time, be well, be happy, and be kind.